Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, but I have to tell you, so full disclosure for you guys, I'm in a new location right now because I'm actually recording this out of my apartment in the city. I'm here for the first time and I don't even know how long just because I had something I had to do here today. And Julie, let me tell you something. It is energetically very different being here than being in the closet. You know, it's my favorite thing in the world when you're in the city, right? I know. And when I was walking around today, I felt like I was kind of living our old life and we would do things and go to meetings and record in a studio. And it was just hitting me like full force that it's been basically a year that we've been doing this. It's crazy. It really has been like a full year. I used to look at you in the eye while we were talking and now you're just a computer screen to me. Like we don't even do this on Zoom. It's so funny because as you just said that, I was thinking about how badly I want to go back to the studio. But then when you brought up the fact that you were looking at me, I was like, we're never going back. I know. I think I said this when we were talking to Stephen Cluddy and James Lafferty last week about how there's something really natural that comes when you feel like nobody's watching, even if it's your best friend. Yeah. I mean, I have severe stage fright. I obviously know what you mean. (laughs) But that's okay. I don't think it's ever been an issue on the podcast. I think you handle it beautifully. Thank you so much for saying that. (laughs) Okay. So as you guys know, every week we're highlighting a business and I really like this company. It's called HOH Kitchenware and it's basically kitchen gadgets and kind of unique kitchenware finds. It was founded last year actually by this woman, Lyric Hayward Griffith. She's a stay-at-home mom and a military spouse and she's very passionate about cooking and being in the kitchen and she kind of designed this line as a result of that passion. I like the entire layout of the website and I'm just a fan. So as always, we will put the Instagram and the website in the description. Okay, Julie, you ready? I'm ready. Actually, I want to say one thing before we start, which I know normally we say thank you at the end of every episode because obviously we are so thankful to you guys for listening because we would not be able to do this if we didn't have listeners that were so engaged and excited about 
the topics that we are, but just um, on a personal note, so today was actually my mom's birthday and it was the third one after she passed. And it's usually the hardest day of the year for me, which I'm sure other people who have lost someone can relate to. But today, you know, I knew that at the end of the day, we were going to be recording this and it genuinely made me feel better. I think the best way that I can describe it is it was almost the sense of like purpose. And I just wanted to express my gratitude for that because today, maybe more than ever, I felt especially lucky for this community because it was just an escape and it was really something that I needed. And I obviously wouldn't be able to do this if we didn't have you guys. So I just wanted to say thank you. That was so sweet, Em. It's true though. Wasn't I better today than other birthdays? Oh my God. Yeah. Me and as well, we're talking about it actually. So we're going to start out today with the news of Ben Affleck and Ana Diarmas splitting. And before we get into it, I just want to say a few days ago when Julie and I were kind of talking about the outline, we realized that there was a serious lack of topics. And Julie jokingly texted me and she was like, could you manifest a divorce or is that bad karma? And I was like, absolutely not. There's no way. Terrible karma. And now two days later, here we are. I do appreciate the fact that you thought I was joking. (laughs) But let me ask you, in hypothesizing about this, would Ben and Anna ever be one that you would have thought? Did I think they were going to break up? Eventually, did I specifically seek them out to break up? No, I drink Dunkin' Donuts way too often to ever do that to them. Right? God forbid. God forbid. Okay, so let's go back a second because they have been dating for roughly 10 months. As you guys know, they started dating at the beginning of last year while they were filming their movie Deep Water. And it's been roughly since March that they were linked. That's when they were seen on that trip to Cuba. That's where Anna is from. And they went on this romantic trip to Costa Rica after. And if you guys remember, there was that photo of Anna on the beach that Ben Affleck commented on it, photo credit, please, with the emoji. I know we speak about this comment a lot, but it was because it was the first official confirmation of their romance after pictures had been circulating. And Julie and I posted that immediately after it happened. And it really just feels, I can't believe less than a year later that that comment is as insignificant as ever. I do feel spoiled by that comment because now whenever there's a new couple, it I almost feel like it's an expectation that they're going to do the same thing. Like Because Ben and Anna were so unlikely to be Instagram commenters and they did it, now whenever there's a new couple, I just expect it's going to happen because they were so out of the blue. Right. And that's setting our sights on something that's just not going to happen. Yeah. So- According to People, quote, Ben is no longer dating Anna. She broke it off. Their relationship was complicated. Anna doesn't want to be Los Angeles-based, and Ben obviously has to since his kids live in LA. This is something that was mutual and something that's completely amicable. They're in different points in their lives. There's deep love and respect there. Ben continues to want to work on himself. He has three jobs lined up, and he's a solid father at home. They're both happy with where they are in their lives. Hmm. That all sounds great. It all sounds totally fine. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the photos today, but apparently it was Ben's brother, Casey Affleck, that was throwing away this cardboard cutout of Anna that they had at (laughs) Ben's house. I know it sounds fake as I'm saying this, but if you Google the pictures, it really did happen. And it was a little bit of a dramatic action, I would say. I, I have so many questions about that one photo. The news story said that they had the cutout of her and, and that Ben's kids were playing with it. Like they had it in their house. Why did that exist in the first place? Is there anything more dramatic than physically removing a person and putting them in a dumpster after your breakup? Is there anything more dramatic than having your brother do it instead of you? I just could not be more confused by a single event ever. 
it was the kind of thing where if the if the need to throw that away was so imminent, you would have thought they may as well have thrown a black hefty over it, you know? Right. Like what? Yeah. It's like that meme of I didn't have this on my bingo card. Did not have this on my bingo card. Not one event that's happened this year did I have on a bingo card. Yeah. So we will obviously keep you guys updated on this. Although I can't imagine anything crazy is going to come out just because they don't have kids together. They weren't married. Who knows? Maybe they're still kind of seeing each other. I will say personally for me, I'll miss the paparazzi photos. I enjoyed them. It was a totally different vibe than the Shauna Camila situation. And it may be an unpopular opinion, but I appreciated them. I think it was almost synonymous with the pandemic for me. But here we are. I have to say, I did think that their relationship, I didn't think they were going to break up now. What I actually thought was going to happen was I thought they were going to get engaged and then have to call off the engagement. That's how I pictured it going down. Interesting. And also something I could have totally seen. That's a pretty good hypothesis. I can't wait to see both of them day next. Ben Affleck, just as a human in general, is fascinating to me. He always has been, and I think he always will be. I don't know what it is, even from the Jennifer Lopez days. So while I'm fascinated by who she dates, just because I happen to think she's so stunning and so talented, and I like view her with such admiration, I'm more so from a curiosity perspective, curious about him because he's just like an enigma to me. A thousand million percent. Yes. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, so switching gears for a second, and I first just want to give a trigger warning for sexual abuse, rape, sexual violence, emotional abuse, cannibalism, and probably some other things that I didn't even mention there. But we're going to be discussing this Army Hammer situation. And I first just want to start out by saying last week on the podcast, while we were recording, things were kind of coming out about this and it really escalated in the last hour or so right before we started recording. And we weren't sure exactly how to play it. And we kind of made the conscious decision that I was just going to come on, do a two minute thing where I basically said, We don't know what's happening. This is still a developing story, but as always, we believe victims, we believe women, and here's where you can find everything that's being shared. Here's the Instagram of one of the alleged victims that's kind of compiling everything. And our main message was kind of, this seems to be taken a joking light and we're kind of confused why, because what's happening is serious, right? Right, exactly. So I first just want to say, 
a week later, I'm really confident in that decision because what has transpired in the last seven or so days really just shows the extent of this situation and how I think ill-informed everybody was when it first started to come out. So the way that we're kind of going to do this is I'm going to first do a little bit of an informative breakdown. Like always, I'm not going to go through and read all the DMs. It's very triggering. It's very dark, but I just want to catch anybody up to speed that feels a little bit behind. Some people may fully know what's going on, but I'm just going to spend two or so minutes doing that. But then the reason that we're going to talk about this is because I think something that Julie and I have been feeling for this last week is that the way the media has been covering this is kind of confusing to us because it seems like it's missing the mark on the actual issue here. And honestly, just to give the benefit of the doubt, I think it's because it's a very bizarre story and there's a lot of elements to it that have shock value. So the way that it's being covered is maybe a little bit more clickbaity, but the core of the issue here has nothing to do with the kinks. The core of the issue here has to do with the the abuse that these women allegedly faced. And that seems to be forgotten about. And so I feel like if we have this podcast, it's our job to try to highlight that in a way where maybe we can explain it to have it be a little bit more digestible because I feel like as a whole, the fact that there are victims is not being represented well. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Okay. So let me just spend a few minutes first kind of catching everybody up to speed. It's not going to be a full breakdown, but I'm going to try to provide a little bit of back context and we'll go from there. But again, this is just the information stage. We're going to get into why this is so problematic in a few minutes. I just want to make sure we're all working with the same set of facts. So as you guys know, last July, Army and Elizabeth Chambers announced their divorce. This came as a total shock to everyone. I remember we reported on it at the time. We were kind of very confused. And there really was no explanation given. They kind of just asked for privacy at the time. A few months later, things came out that it was maybe because he was unfaithful, that he had also sent apparently a text message that was meant for another woman to her. She found out about some of his indiscretions and she filed for divorce. It was never really that publicized exactly what happened, but you could tell that something was a little bit murky. This wasn't just like a situation of two people that happened to fall out of love, which initially, personally for me, and I believe Julie said the same thing when we were talking about it, we were surprised by that. That's not what we had thought because they seemed to have this quote, picture perfect marriage, right? Right. We were surprised, but there were definitely a lot of people after we had spoken about it on the podcast that were like, your guys are kind of wrong about this one. Like there's nothing surprising here. Right. And again, that was just because clearly we didn't know enough. We don't know these people personally. And what we saw was just this outside couple that seemed like everything was great. So you have that. And I also just want to add a couple of other puzzle pieces that provide additional context because we've spoken about this on previous podcasts before where basically Army Hammer either didn't know or didn't care that his Twitter likes were public. And he was liking a lot of kind of like bondage porn, which, you know, at the time, nobody thought anything of it really, other than this is a little bit embarrassing for him. He didn't realize this was public knowledge. Also, there were a couple of DMs that had been released, I would say last year. It was nothing bad. It was just sexual conversations with a woman. Again, nobody really thought too much of it because at the time, what we saw was nothing where there was victims involved. It was more so this was a sexual interaction the two consenting adults had, or so we thought at the time. It was very minimal. That was it. And I actually have to say that up until this point, in terms of the mainstream media, I'm not saying people within the industry weren't aware of this, but in terms of the mainstream media, I don't think the level to which Army was involved in some of these things was ever made public. 
Correct. So last week, more screenshots started to emerge and they were these conversations that Army was having with these different women. And like I said, this was really happening at the time that we were recording. And at first, I think people were really confused. Initially, they kind of seemed like consensual BDSM interactions. And as more things started to come out, primarily from this one alleged victim who was kind of consolidating the information, her handle again is at House of Effie on Instagram, House of Effie, E-F-F-I-E. We started to realize that these conversations were taking a really dark turn. And I want to be really clear here. This was not a kink shaming type of situation as I think people started to think it was initially. It was more so there was a line being crossed here, which again, I'm going to get into in a few minutes as to why this was an issue. I just want to try to communicate the essences of these messages without reading them. They were dark. They were really, really dark. It was a combination of sexual interactions and also some ones that seemed to be a little bit more psychologically abusive. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, definitely. The one that probably sparked the most media attention was a message where he said, I'm 100% accountable. And he spoke about kind of cannibalistic desires. Of course, again, that took a lot of clickbait. But again, like I said earlier, that was not really the core of the issue here. I think that was just the one that provided the most shock value. So that's kind of what the media ran with. But this woman, House of Effie, that was posting all these things, and you can really see if you look at her highlights, again, I want to warn you, it's very triggering if you decide to do so, was posting these very, very graphic interactions, which some were just based in sexting and others were, you could tell these women were visibly uncomfortable. The line had been crossed. At a certain point, that consent was no longer there and he continued to go. And when you're reading this, it was, it was just disturbing, you know? And so people really didn't know what to make of it. He hadn't said anything on the matter. And his first response to any of this came when he was speaking about stepping away, apparently, from this movie Shotgun Wedding with J-Lo. And he said, quote, I'm not responding to these bullshit claims, but in light of the vicious and spurious online attacks against me, I cannot in good conscience now leave my children for four months to shoot a film in the Dominican Republic. Lionsgate is supporting me in this, and I'm grateful to them for that. A production spokesman confirmed and said, quote, given the imminent state of shotgun wedding, Army has requested to step away from the film and we support him in this decision. I still don't think we're ever going to fully know exactly what happened there. My gut feeling on it is that Lionsgate was going to remove him and kind of gave him the courtesy to say, if you want to say this first, we'll give you that courtesy. That's just my gut feeling on it. That was my assumption as well. Right? Yeah. So after that, we hadn't heard anything from Army's ex-wife, Elizabeth, but a source told Entertainment Tonight that, quote, Elizabeth is in complete shock by the allegations against Army and feels like her world has been turned upside down. She's sickened by the various women's claims. Her first priority, as always, are their children and trying to protect them from the news and make sure that they feel safe and secure. She does not want them to be traumatized by everything going on. This story takes a little bit of a more bizarre turn when his alleged finsta was revealed with a lot of bizarre photos and videos. He had only about 16 followers on it. For anybody who doesn't know what a Finsta is, it's a fake Insta account. I think the term was kind of initially coined by high school girls who had this one without their parents seeing it. And it then started to be something that kind of celebrities took as a way to have a little bit more authentic presence for maybe people that are close to them. Do you think that's a fair interpretation? Couldn't have said it better myself. Okay. And in this Finsta, it was kind of just erratic behavior. He was posting these bizarre selfies of himself, one caption, when you realize they don't test for DMT on drug tests. For anybody who doesn't know, DMT is a hallucinogenic drug. He posted a photo of the drug test, caption, all negative, my body is a finely tuned toxin processing unit. Okay, to be fair, I had THC and benzos in my piss, but who doesn't? 
another one with a drug test that said, divorce is so fun, not as fun as drugs, but what is? The video that probably sparked the most media attention was one where he was filming his hotel room, kind of being very coy. And you see at one point he pans to this woman on all fours in lingerie on his bed. He doesn't really acknowledge it in the video, but in his caption, he writes, well, my ex parentheses for a very good reason, wife is refusing to come back to America with my children. So I have to go back to the Cayman, which sucks, except there are a few silver linings like fucking Miss Cayman again. And while I'm down there. So after that, of course, everyone believes that this woman on the bed, you can't see her face, is Miss Cayman. He then had to issue a statement to the Cayman Compass that said, quote, I would like to clarify that the person in my video, which was stolen from my private Instagram, is not Miss Cayman. I'm genuinely sorry for any confusion my foolish attempted humor may have caused. My deep sympathies to Miss Cayman, who I don't know, and to the entire organization, as I had no intentions of implying she was actually Miss Cayman. I know as I'm reading this, if you're unfamiliar with this story, or honestly, even if you are familiar with it, it feels like it's fake. You know, you can't believe how bizarre any of this is, especially the fact that he would do this in the first place, but then would post it, not even getting into the graphic nature and the problematic nature of the actual screenshots. I'm just trying to give you a play-by-play of what happened since then. We've heard from sources that, you know, quote, he always liked to drink, do drugs, but never like this, kind of that he was going into a bit of a downward spiral. And I... The best way that I can put this, just from a partying perspective, is that the general consensus among people that were close to him, or even peripherally close to him, were not that surprised by the partying that was going on here, because I think that that was always a side of his personality. Did you kind of get that sense also? Yeah, I got the sense that... I've gotten the sense throughout this whole thing that the people who are closest to him um, aren't surprised by any of it. Right. Right. Not that they, and to be clear, not that people necessarily knew the extent of what was going on, but that the image that I think he portrayed to the public was different than those who knew him on an intimate level. Right. And the thing with Army is that there's been things throughout the years that he's done, not that has pointed to anything of these extremes, but have pointed to things where you can say, is this the most surprising person that this story is about? And it's he's it's not. I mean, it may be to some people who didn't know about his interviews where he starts to talk about all of these things and has said things in different interviews about not dominating his wife. So yeah, if you're paying attention and all those things are stacked up in your mind, no, it's not the most surprising thing in the world. If you know absolutely none of that, of course it's shocking. So after all of this happens, his ex-girlfriend's woman named Courtney comes out and basically gives another kind of example of their relationship. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but she said, you know, he was very into this whole master slave fetish that he wanted to break and eat her ribs. She talked to Daily Mail in this exclusive interview. I'm going to read one paragraph where she says, quote, he's a very charming, intense human being, but once you start talking to him, he's pretty aggressive right from the start, not violent, but just sexually aggressive in the way he speaks. He's magnetic, but that has helped him get away with the stuff. He's a very charming, larger than life personality. He's very affectionate. He makes you feel very safe and kind of on top of the world. Then little by little, it gets deeper and darker. He kind of gets obsessed with you. At first you feel really safe and then it gets a little strange and then it gets more and more. And little by little, you're like, what's happened? It's very heavy. The general takeaway from what she was saying, in addition to, of course, the fetishes that we know that he has had and this desire for cannibalism, in addition to some of the other fetishes, to me, the core of it was just, she was confirming, not that I had any doubt based on the other women, but she was confirming this really manipulative side of him that was 
psychologically, emotionally, and sexually incredibly manipulative. And her story was right on par with what these others alleged victims had been saying, which again, I don't think it should take this interview for that legitimacy to be proved. However, I think that in the eye of some of the public who may have still wanted to be in the camp that some of those earlier screenshots were faked or forged, this provided a little bit more context, I think, to some people. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, she very explicitly explains that what happened with them was a result of grooming on his part and that she had to go to an intensive therapy after for 30 days to recover from the PTSD of it all. So there was definitely a lot there and also a face to put the story to, I think, for people to really understand. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's when maybe in the eyes of some of the public it started to shift. Whereas I feel like for you and I, we had been sitting here being like, guys, this is a big fucking deal. Why is nobody talking about the abuse? Like everybody was only talking about the kink element of it. Cause I guess that's like the quote sexier part of this entire thing. Meanwhile, there was serious victims. There are serious victims. And I feel like by Courtney bravely coming forward, it almost helped this other victim's credibility rise in other people's eyes. Okay. I think a really good place to start is there was this Twitter thread that we found by this person, Sung, who is an author from Korea. Their handle on Twitter is at KillDads. And I'm going to read this entire thread because I don't think it was that widely seen, but it was really, really excellent. And I felt like it communicated in almost an academic sense what we had been feeling, but couldn't verbalize as well. So it's a good jumping off point, And I want to start there. Right. Okay. Sung writes, no discourse, praying hands, but Army Hammer is a man who said he prefers rough sex but stopped wanting it with his wife because that's the mother of his children, and he grew to respect her too much. That's what needs unpacking, the relationship between desire and power and respect, not kink. If your experience of pleasure is antithetical to your ability to consider someone worthy of respect, you are replicating the actual violence you want to and do get away with. That is not kink, that is misogyny, and I'm not interested in bringing up BDSM where it does not belong. What concerns me is that this is extremely common and the current rise of puritanical backlash demonstrates how unprepared we are for a necessary discussion. The patriarch seeks sexual gratification at the cost of others, and we have to be better about not engaging on their terms. I know this is kind of wordy, but please stick with me here because these points are so excellent. Okay. When the patriarch admits, quote, I want to beat you during sex because you are not worthy of respect. That is not power exchange. That is not BDSM. That is not an expression of trust or vulnerability. That is a replication of the hegemony that empowers them. And when the culture, well-meaning but panicked, says, quote, it is wrong to want to beat anyone during sex. It conflates agreements between lovers who exchange power for mutual pleasure with the logic of an abuser. All it does is further endanger people whose desires are stigmatized. When you focus criticism on the aesthetic of erotic expression as opposed to the material function of power surrounding it, what you do is not curb the ostensibly dangerous appetite of the beater. You, in fact, obscure the path to safe experience of pleasure by the beaten. The patriarch, the rapist, the abuser thrives on this lack of nuance. It allows them to hide in plain sight behind liberal touchiness and corporatized feminist anxiety around, quote, sex positivity. Don't shut up, but learn to identify the difference and attack with precision. Okay. That was excellent. If you need to rewind and listen one more time, because I know it's kind of deep, feel free. I read it like five times, but I just felt like the way that they described that was so excellent because it hit on the exact point that we were talking about here. The kink element is not what needs to be discussed here. It's the abuse element. Right. And that is the piece of the story that is continuously being missed. 
Right. And the thing here is that at one point, these were two consenting adults that were into this type of play and this type of sexual expression. And at a certain point, a line was crossed and there was no type of checking in. And what was happening here was that he was getting off on these women's discomfort. That's where the issue arises. If these are two consenting parties, let them do whatever the fuck they want. When one party is no longer comfortable and the other party is then getting a rise out of that, that's when you have a real issue. And that is what is a repeated trend here. We see that over and over with all of these women that have come forward. It's the exact same thing. It's that at one point in time, they were relatively aligned in their desires. And at a certain point, he took it too far, knew he took it too far, and either didn't give them a chance to voice the discomfort or when the discomfort was voiced, it wasn't taken seriously. That in addition to the fact that when you're engaging in this type of play, there needs to be a certain level of like aftercare and um, attentiveness that's given. And he did none of that. So it was like a culmination of psychological abuse that was kind of under this general blanket of like BDSM. And this is not BDSM. This is abuse that maybe originated with a mutual love for BDSM, but trust me, this is not BDSM what's happening here. Right. And again, that is the confusion here because I think that the way the story is being reported is A, the cannibalism angle is really the main focus for people. Um, And two, Unless you're sitting there and going through every single DM, every single interaction, every single back and forth, you're missing the part or not being told the part where there are actual victims here and not just people online who are talking and DMing and saying they're uncomfortable, which by the way, that is not right in any capacity either. And that is still a form of sexual abuse, but there were also in-person interactions that crossed that line as well. I believe there was one of the stories where somebody spoke about told him, you know, she wasn't comfortable doing something. He said he wouldn't do it. And then in the caption, she wrote, spoiler alert, he did it. There were lines crossed at every single step of the way here. And every single story that's being reported on it is missing that point. So when people are joking about on the internet, half of it is because they don't understand the full story or they think it's so outlandish that it's almost funny to them. But the other half of it is that they're not being given the correct information because it is unusual that people would go through every single screenshot of every single DM to decode it for themselves. Exactly. And that's why I'm saying like there's almost a certain part of me that, you know, can understand people's confusion because this is such a unique type of story in the sense of like, we're really getting so much information. And I probably have 600 screenshots of my phone because I went through every single highlight. And again, I'm not going to read the DMs here because they're really, really dark. And if you're curious, you can go. But once you actually see this in writing, and then if you were a skeptic, which Julie and I weren't, but if you happen to be, you see photos of him. You see photos where he sent to her of him having his hand around his neck. You see photos where you can very clearly see his tattoos. Like you see photos where it's him to the point where at a certain point, the idea of using that it being too outlandish, it can't be real as an excuse is no longer valid. And I think there's a certain reality that didn't, you know, people didn't want to accept there, but it, it it's, it's real. I mean, it's happening. It's very confusing to me, honestly, the way the story is being reported on the way the story is being reacted to. I think 
honestly, a huge element of this is the way that Army Hammer looks. If Army Hammer was not as attractive as he was, the story would not be reported like this. It's 100% a fact where if it was somebody who you found to be unattractive or not conventionally attractive, it would be far, you would be far quicker, the public would be far quicker to believe them and believe, oh, this is a sick individual, this is a twisted individual, this person isn't right. Where you now have Army Hammer, who is traditionally and looked at as one of the most attractive people in Hollywood right now. And because of that fact, everyone's like, oh, Army Hammer, that cannibal, like, oh, Ar-, and, and are talking about the DMs. I've seen this on the internet of people talking about the DMs being hot or turning them on where it's like, that's not the point of any of this. No, it's not the point of any of this. And I want to say, I, I have a point to make, but I just want to go off of what you said. Of course, like, of course, there's the element of white male privilege. We are not blind to that. Just the element of entitled entitlement and the fact of him feeling like he's not getting, he'll not ever get caught. And there's so many elements that play directly into the white male privilege, but also what's happening here just as high, I, in my opinion, is the pretty privilege you were speaking of. It's really, there's a huge level of pretty privilege. You can't just call this, you know, say it's white privilege and call it a day because an unattractive white man, I actually don't think would be treated as graciously as he's being treated currently by the media because the element here is like, when you are looking at this with tunnel vision and you, for some how don't want to view the abuse, you don't want to view it as if there's victims. I think what people feel is, oh my God, the cloak is being lifted and we're actually seeing a look into his sex life. I think that's what people see. And that is intrusive and exciting by nature to a lot of people who may have fantasized about Army Hammer in their own times. So this almost feels like too good to be true. It's kind of like they feel like they're getting in the sexual mind of one of their crushes and it stops there. And that's, I guess, the point that we're trying to convey here is like, that's not the, that's not what's going on here. It's so much deeper. Right, exactly. The pretty privilege element of it is huge. And another thing that's not really being discussed, it there's just so many elements to the story. And as it keeps being unpacked, and people keep looking deeper into Army Hammer, there's just a lot of things that are not right here. This is genuinely somebody who is abusive, who takes advantage of the relationships in his life, who is unhinged just in every aspect of how he's acting. I mean, to be going through a divorce where you have a custody battle and then to post on a private Instagram account about how you are still doing drugs, how you have benzos in your system, how you found drugs that don't come up on tests, like how little regard and care do you have for the thing that you're going through outside of all of this other stuff that you're comfortable posting on an Instagram about it, thinking that you couldn't possibly ever get caught. Well, that's the the level of entitlement and almost delusion that I think is so alarming. But honestly, it's if you're him, it almost makes sense because that's been the course of his life. He's been able to have this double life for so long and it hasn't been an issue. And, uh, you know, it's almost like in his mind, I would be like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? Obviously, you and I can't relate to that. But I, I genuinely believe that he had this such a deep level of self-entitlement that he really felt above it. I really feel that way. No, I do too. And there was another Twitter thread that I was reading that talked about kind of the voyeurism aspect of all of this, because I think one of the initial reactions were, guys, if Army Hammer was a cannibal, if Army Hammer was this twisted and fucked up, would he really be posting, like, would he really be doing this from his Instagram account? Like, you can clearly screenshot who's that dumb. And there was a Twitter thread that was so interesting talking about how, like, all of that plays into this voyeuristic aspect of his desire or whatever he's 
you know, deeply, deeply trying to put out there where he can't not send it from his Instagram because A, he gets off on that. And B, he's so entitled that he thinks that even if it's coming from directly him with his name on it, he still won't get caught. There were things talking about the voyeurism and and that aspect too of in interviews, talking about ropes, talking about all of these different sexual things on interviews. And it's just interesting when you start to line all of those things up. Oh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I think now when we go back, I wouldn't go as far as to say like, I actually am going to definitely not say like, how did we not know? Because it's not human nature to assume the worst. And so if you see some of what he was liking, some of what he was saying, you could just assume that he was into some kinky shit and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, we're the last ones to judge that if that was just the case. So it wasn't going to be my initial reaction when I just thought that he was maybe into BDSM initially a year ago. I wasn't going to assume that he was really taking part in this deep emotional, physical and psychological manipulation. Clearly now we realize that that's the case. So right. I just, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if we're conveying the point that we want to convey, but I feel like Julie and I, these last six days, we've been watching the way that this has been reported on and spoke about. And we feel almost like his victims or something are being gaslit. And so what I said to what I said to myself before we recorded this episode, it was like, okay, I want to try to frame this discussion is if hypothetically speaking, one of his victims happened to listen to this portion of the episode, I want them to feel understood and validated and like their concerns are actually being heard because by the majority of the public, everybody is so quick to defend the kink aspect or defend the fact that you can have cannibalistic thoughts and not be a cannibal and forget that that's actually a total sideshow to the core of the issue here. So we're not experts on this. I don't know if we did a good job, but I just felt like how the fuck are we supposed to have this podcast as two women, by the way, and not at least try to shed a little bit of light on it. Right, exactly. And by the way, like, I understand the want and the desire to defend the kink element of the story, if that was the isolated thing here. But defending kink should not come above defending victims. That's backwards. And that's not right. And you're missing the entire element here if you're doing that. Like a gazillion percentually. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, let's take a break. That was a lot. Um, And we will come back with some definitely later topics, but we both felt it was important to talk on that. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliayi was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
So I'm sure by now you all have seen the viral screenshot from Mary-Kate Olsen's divorce hearing on Zoom. And if you're wondering where this originated from, this woman, Molly Crane Newman, who is a court reporter for the New York Daily News, tweeted and said, first time a judge has granted me permission to, quote, shoot a proceeding in the pandemic. And it's a screenshot of Mary-Kate Olsen and Olivier Sarkozy's divorce proceeding. The future is here and it's bizarro, babe. Because typically she would be the one taking photos of this entire situation. Meanwhile, the way to report on this now in the time of Corona, not just for divorce hearings, I think for legal proceedings in general, are Zoom screenshots. Do you think Mary-Kate knows that her divorce Zoom proceedings is the screenshot that sparked a million memes? No, I actually think not at all. Because I think my gut feeling on the Olsons is I know that they're really inactive on social media publicly, but I also think that's the same internally. Like, I don't think they're the type that go deep in on their Finsta stalking everyone. I genuinely think they have a sense of just being removed from like the world. By the way, I wouldn't even, I like would not be surprised in the slightest if they didn't have any social media at all, personal or otherwise. Right? Like I, I would actually be shocked if I found out they had a Finsta. Yeah. So if you guys remember, they got married in November, 2015. And just to ease any concerns, they had a prenup going in. He's very wealthy, but obviously so is she. And apparently according to sources, the prenup was ironclad. You know, her and Ashley's business ventures are completely separate from any of their relationships, which as you guys know, like their acting is probably or definitely the least of their fortune. They have so many other businesses, so many fashion endeavors that they're you know heavily involved in. So that wasn't really an issue, but she had petitioned for divorce in April of last year. The motion was stalled due to the pandemic. I remember when we were reporting on this, it was a big deal at the time. And in May, 2020, she had filed an emergency order to end the marriage. The judge rejected her bid. So this has kind of been you know, going on for a while now. And on this Zoom call, her lawyer said, you know, eight months after the split, they have finally come to a resolution and they've reached some sort of a settlement. Right. <laughs> like, I just, I know it's so minor. Like, I know really basically what we're saying here is that Mary-Kate Olsen's divorce was finalized and you guys are maybe thinking like, big fucking deal, this happens all the time. But can we just take a second to acknowledge or appreciate the coronavirus perspective here that we will never get this again. Like we will never be in the middle of a global pandemic where Mary Kate Olsen's divorce to her 30 year older husband is live streamed on zoom. I mean, first of all, knock on wood. (laughs) Second of all, it's exactly one of those things where it's like, imagine showing yourself a year and a half ago, the zoom screenshot of Mary Kate Olsen getting divorced. You texted me that actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Julie texted Isabel and I one night and she was like, I'm kind of high, but imagine if a year ago, somebody showed you that. You wouldn't understand it. It would be, there are so many things that have, that have come up where it's like, imagine if you woke up from a coma and somebody showed you this image and it's like, you wouldn't physically be able to wrap your head around it. No, not, not one of them. Listen there. I know you talk about this a lot, but there are a lot of really mysterious figures in Hollywood. And in my opinion, the Olsen twins are absolutely top five of the list. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for a sit down with them. It's an interview. I don't know if we'll ever get, but I would dream of it because the amount of questions that I have, even not just with them, just their family, people that know them intimately. I'm so curious about how they lead their lives. I'm so curious what they talk about. Like I want to know Mary Kate Olsen's innermost dreams and thoughts and it really feels like for such a large part of my childhood and honestly for the 
people that I dreamed to be when I was growing up, I know so little about them. First of all, yes, like a hundred percent. Yes. I can't think of two people like more omnipresent in my childhood. It's like Mary Kate and Ashley and my parents. (laughs) Right. I mean, every, we talk about this all the time, but I feel like we all have certain things that we associate with Blockbuster where it's like you went in, you got the same two DVDs every single time you went in there. And when me and my sisters went in, every single time it was between winning London and Passport to Paris. There was no other option. There was nothing else. And it's just, it, it they were so present for so long. It was like every single thing I did, every single thing I watched, everything I consumed, books, magazines, like there were the Olsen twins. And now it's just like, one Zoom divorce proceeding every like blue moon. It just feels like two separate, completely separate entities. I don't mean to make this about us or be narcissistic in saying this. I'm sure they're leading their lives greatly, but I feel a little bit robbed if I'm being honest with you. I feel like I spent so many years of my life supporting them so deeply. And then they not only went completely off the grid, they went like off the fucking grid to the point where you know, that could cause some abandonment issues for somebody if they maybe weren't in therapy. Is that what you want me to go to therapy for? Because that I'll do. Yes, honestly, I do. I'm going to sit you down in a therapist's office and be like, listen, <laughs> this is her every weekend blockbuster. And next thing you know, poof, they're nowhere to be found. And by the way, that's what I said to you about Zoe Kravitz and why the divorce hurts so much. Because if I'm Mary-Kate and Ashley and I leave my apartment to go to your wedding and you get divorced within a year, no. No, that's, that's no. not... See, Julie, that goes to show our level. Who else hears about Zoe Kravis' divorce and initially thinks of how upset Mary-Kate and Ashley must be? Nobody. That's why we are real fans. Uh, M? Yes. Wow. Wow. I don't know. I just there's. I just wanted to let you guys know that we were on that story. We were following the memes. It was a highlight of my week because it wasn't negative. I mean, it was. She's happy to be divorced, and it finally got resolved. So it was actually a good thing. It didn't feel like you were celebrating somebody's upset. Um, but we all got to witness that together, and you know what? We're better off for it. Amen. Also, the fact that it took her ten minutes to get on, and she had to apologize to the judge. It just. I like. I'm so glad to know that she also faces technological difficulties. It was probably your first time using a computer. That's how I feel. You know, you know for a straight up fact that her lawyer had to explain to her what Zoom was. Oh, I'm sure. I think she's more of a FaceTime girl if I had to imagine. I I have to imagine that this was her first time ever hearing about Zoom. I think so too. (laughs) Zoom. Zoom. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we just wanted to tell you guys about that. And honestly, we just wanted to talk about it because we force ourselves not to talk about these things until we're on the podcast. So we'll take a break. We'll come back with Betty White, Trisha Paytas, a little bit Kardashians, and then we'll call it a day. How's that? Sounds good to me. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. 
Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, co-insurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. So as you all know, Betty White turned 99 on Sunday, January 17th, which makes her a Capricorn in case anybody was wondering. And obviously we love Betty White. We love celebrating Betty White, but we just wanted to read this post that Nancy Myers did just in case anybody missed it. It was really sweet. She posted this throwback photo of Betty and she wrote her caption. In the early seventies, I was working on a game show as a production assistant and the company I was working for asked me to work on a pilot they were doing for a new game show. Betty White was the guest on that show. She was also on my favorite TV show, The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I don't know how I got the nerve, but 23-year-old me showed Betty White an episode of The Mary Tyler Moore Show I had written, never thinking I'd ever really have a chance to show it to anyone actually connected to the show. She read it overnight. She was so kind and so generous and asked me if she could show it to the producers of the show. I nearly fainted. They met with me, they encouraged me, and I then quit my job on the game show and pursued a writing career. I never got to thank Betty White or meet her again, so the least I can do is wish her a very happy 99th birthday. And thank you, Betty. You changed my life. I love that. Isn't that so special, though? Like, especially since Nancy Myers is, I know, one of both of our favorite director, writers, and Betty White is such an iconic actress that it's so crazy that Betty had such an everlasting impact on her life from one little gesture. And you know what's funny is that it was a couple of episodes ago we were talking about like the weird domino effects in Hollywood where you never think about one thing having an effect on the other. But like if there was no Betty White, there'd be no father of the bride. Oh my God, Julie. There'd be no like parent trap. I can't even imagine. Cannot imagine a world without either of them. It's complicated. And you know how I feel about Nancy Myers. It's a deep love. That kitchen and it's complicated just fucked me up. That kitchen and everything. I know. I know. No, it's really true. I mean, I, I just loved that. And of course, we're so happy to celebrate Betty White. I, t- I think I've definitely told this story on the podcast before, or maybe I haven't. I know if you have. So this is like so crazy, but um, years ago when Betty White was hosting SNL, we like happened to get tickets. It was through this family friend connection. We were so excited. And we brought my grandma who was like 88 at the time and Betty White, she, they were basically around the same age and she loved Betty and we got to go backstage. We got to meet Betty and to watch my 88 year old grandmother meet her idol who was around the same age was such a unique experience that I don't think I will ever forget. And I just remember being so in awe of her humor and her wit and she's just, there's a reason that she is the legend that she is. And she falls into like the Dolly Parton category of people that are just so widely respected and loved in Hollywood. So happy birthday. We are so happy that you are alive. I love that story. Isn't that so special? So special. (laughs) Like, isn't it like you never think you're going to see your grandma be starstruck. No, I, I really, you really don't. (laughs) Because there's nobody that we think is famous that our grandparents for the most part would care about. 
Right. Like I can't think of one person that I would bring my grandparents and they would be starstruck around. Kim Kardashian could have been sitting in front of my grandma and she, as she would say, wouldn't know her from a hole in the wall. Yeah. Okay. I know this episode is kind of all over the place today, but really quickly, just we're going to shift gears. Feel free to fast forward if YouTube drama is not your thing, but we did get a decent amount of DMs about this whole Trisha Paytas, Jeffree Star situation. So let me try to clarify it to the best of my ability. It's pretty lowbrow and I get that, but here we are. So do you like the transition, by the way, from Betty White to Trisha Paytas? Can I tell you something really honestly? Yeah. I love when you do these because I never know and I never <laughs> I never want to text you and give you the satisfaction of asking you to explain it to me. So I just have to wait and hope that you're going to bring it up on the podcast. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Like I am, I'm literally on the edge of my seat here. It's you in a nutshell, though, like not wanting to text me. <laughs> okay, so this is basically what happens. I'm sure you saw this on Twitter. So last year, 2020, Trisha had taken a trip with Jeffree Star, and we're going to call it his entourage to Vegas. It was during Valentine's Day. Trisha was single at the time, and Jeffrey kind of funded the entire thing. As you guys all know, he leads a very extravagant lifestyle, and up until recently when he seemed to... I think really be losing a lot of his um, brand loyalty. He was making a lot of money. I don't know what the deal is now. So they went on this trip and everything seemed to be great from the social media posts. Now, let's say a year or so later, one of the people that was on the trip that was a former friend of Jeffrey, no longer a friend, had made this video. And part of what he said in the video was that on the trip, Jeffrey and the rest of their friends were really talking shit about one particular friend, saying terrible things, talking about their hair, talking about their body, talking about their acne, mean things. Everybody pretty much gathered from what this person was saying that it was about Trisha. Trisha had denied it, said they weren't talking about her. There's no beef there. It's not an issue. Because keep in mind, Trisha is friends with Jeffrey, and she's also friends with Shane Dawson, who is a YouTuber previously canceled, still relatively canceled, although still kind of has an audience who's also friends with Jeffrey. So Trisha had denied this for a really long time. And relatively recently, she came out and basically said, you know what? Yes, it was about me. They were talking about me. I know this from other people. I heard some stuff. I saw some text messages. I heard some voice notes and it did kind of hurt me. That's pretty much all she said. One of the people that was on the trip is this guy, Hair by Jay. He's actually relatively well known in the hair community in LA. He actually most recently, I believe, did Chrissy Teigen's wig. And he's friends with Jeffrey, you know, did Jeffrey's hair, et cetera. A pattern that you see a lot with Jeffree Star is that a lot of his, quote, friends are really just people that work for him, which you see a lot with people in Hollywood that don't necessarily keep their relationships because they want everyone around them to just be yes people. And that's really easy to be when people are on your payroll. So this guy does this Instagram live stream saying quite literally the most disgusting things about Trisha Paytas. And please, like don't get it twisted. I understand that she's really problematic and has done some very fucked up things in the past. And I'm not defending that, but I don't believe anybody should be talked about in this way, saying things about her weight, threatening her, saying things about her skin, just like the type of stuff that anybody, but specifically with somebody dealing with the mental health issues that Trisha deals with should not have to ever endure. So Trisha basically released this YouTube video saying like why I'm done with Jeffrey and hair by Jay and all these people. And in this video, Trisha was clearly distraught. There are times when she fakes her emotions constantly. This is not one of those times. This is like 
a woman seriously triggered by these comments and she felt threatened. She upped security at her house. He was saying disgusting, threatening things that anybody with a pulse would have been scared by. And part of what she was saying in this video was like, I didn't even get into the full extent of how bad it was what they were doing to me. She was like, I was literally be eating and they would knock the food out of my hand, be like, don't eat that. You're so fat. I had bought um, a Balenciaga and Jeffrey said they threw it in the garbage. He had given my bag away with a camera, my camera in it. You know, Hair by Jay had agreed to do my wig. He overcharged me, doubling the price. Like just really a lot of things that she had known about that had been going on on this trip. And in her video, she's also supplementing it with clips from Jay's live stream where anybody watching this sees how vicious and vile and disgusting of the things that he was saying. So that happens. And part of what she was saying in the video is like, you know what, to be honest with you, I have kind of turned a blind eye to the fact that Shane Dawson, my best friend of over 10 years has completely taken Jeffrey's side in this. Somebody he's only been friends with for a few years, knew about what happened with Jeffrey, knew about the pain that he caused me and never once defended me, continued to associate with Jeffrey. She's like, and you know what? Finally, I'm going to put my foot down and I'm disgusted by this. She's like, I thought that maybe he was inching himself away from Jeffrey, but Jeffrey's on Rylan, who Shane's fiance's podcast constantly. They're constantly hyping him up. They're on him. And like, what? I don't need this in my life. And it's interesting because everybody in the comment section kind of took to Trisha in her defense, which is rare. And was like, you know what? You're right. You have been a ride or die friend to Shane amidst all of his cancellations. You've constantly been there for him, maybe at times when you shouldn't have. And the least that he could do is acknowledge the vile nature of what was going on with Jeffrey and his entourage. Meanwhile, he's still hanging out with them. And so that is kind of what erupted here because they've had this rock solid friendship. Of course, Jeffrey comes on and is like, you know what? If Trisha wants to talk to me, she can. Of course, I had no idea that Jay was saying these things. I don't condone this. And like, those aren't my words. Meanwhile, there were voice recordings of him saying vile shit. We know Jeffree Star is a vile person. And Trisha basically was terrified to ever come clean about it, but she did. And I think the interesting part of this story is one, the fact that she finally realized Jane Dawson is not my friend and he's clearly in it for the monetization value with Jeffrey. But number two, to me, what was more interesting was the way that the internet actually banned behind her and was like, you know what? You may be a lot of fucking things, but the one thing you are is a loyal friend to Jane and he is not reciprocating that. And so she basically is completely done with that entire circle. So that friend group is no longer exists. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I actually didn't realize that they were still friends. I thought that friend group had dissipated a while ago. Well, her friendship with Jeffrey had kind of quietly dissipated, but Shane and Jeffrey are still buddy, buddy. And Trisha had never publicly announced that her and Jeffrey no longer friends because she was afraid to go against him, which like a lot of people are. Oh yeah. The whole situation with Jeffrey is, I I can't even get into it. He really, him and Shane both just disgust me and nothing that was said or done to Trisha is deserving. Nobody should be treated like that in the slightest, but I just don't really have patience for her either. No, but that, but that's kind of the point that I'm making. It's like, you know how little patience the internet has for her. So the fact that when most of the internet honestly was banning on her side, that's when you know, like, okay, this is, she's actually in the right here, in my opinion. If you look at Trisha's comments, though, it is really interesting because something I've noticed is that they kind of pick and choose when they're going to hype Trisha up. Like when they're mad at her and she does something stupid, everyone is on the attack, obviously, when Trisha does one thing right, and I'm not saying this is a right or wrong situation. I'm talking about a situation aside from this. 
when Trisha does something that the internet feels is right, they're like a, a group of Trisha stands all of a sudden. You guys switch up real quick. I was about to say it's the definition of you guys switch up real quick. It, yeah. It's it's crazy to me and it's crazy to me that we're still talking about this. And I mean that not in a bad way. It's just I'm almost impressed with Shane, Jeffrey, and Trisha's ability to stay so relevant despite being so irrelevant. Yes. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. I, I think it, this is so much deeper and this is a conversation for like a, a dedicated segment with people that care because I know some of you like find this to be really lowbrow and it is, but I could analyze the psychology of Trisha Paytas for a very long time, partially because she's so open about it and it's a really like, I think it's a really interesting conversation. Honestly, if she didn't, if she wasn't so, if so many of her actions weren't so deeply offensive and problematic, even though she has apologized, I just don't know where she stands in the court of public opinion. Like I would honestly love to talk to her because I find her and Jeffrey to be totally different in the fact that I find Jeffrey to be a malicious human being. I don't think Trisha is. I think she just is so lost or was so lost. Hmm. Yeah. That's my opinion. It's, you know. No, I get what you mean. The thing with Trisha is that I, I think it's almost easier to excuse the things she does because you can see it comes from such a broken place where you can almost have more sympathy for her. But then you look at the stuff she says and does and how many people she's offended. And it's it's hard to do that, which, again, is probably why people switch up so quickly in her comment section when she does something wrong. They're on the attack when she does something right. They want to hype her up. It's because they kind of see that. Deep, deep rooted issues within Trisha. And there's a lot of. I think there is a lot of sympathy there still. No, somehow she has maintained the sense of sympathy, even across. I mean, like, there's literally, even if it's well intentioned, she is so offensive to the Jewish community, just as one, not to mention a million others. And as a Jew, I still, for some reason, like want good things to happen to her. Like, I don't wish any bad on her. Not that I wish bad on anyone, but I'm saying like Jeffrey Sar to me, I just look at him and I'm like, you're a vile human being. Trisha, I'm like, you are a deeply offensive and problematic human being that doesn't actually have a bad heart. But that's just my perception and I'm sure other people disagree. I would agree with that statement. It doesn't excuse it, but I would agree with it. Yeah. Okay. There's no award ceremony this week, but one comment that we wanted to highlight that I'm sure you saw make news everywhere was JLo. I'm going to just read this actual comment verbatim. So it was a photo of her and someone comments, but can I just mention that brows and forehead doesn't move at all when you talk or try to express? You definitely have Botox and tons of it and it's all good. Just saying. She responds, LOL, that's just my face for the 500 millionth time. I've never done Botox or any injectables or surgery. Just saying, get you some JLo beauty and feel beautiful in your own skin. And here's another JLo beauty secret. Try spending your dime being more positive, kind, and uplifting of others. Don't spend your time time to bring others down. That will keep you youthful and beautiful too. Sending you love. Hashtag beauty from the inside out. Hashtag beauty has no expiration date. Let me tell you something. Okay. I love JLo just as much as the next guy, if not more. This is the most bullshit I have quite literally ever seen. And I wouldn't even be so annoyed about it if she didn't cue in a JLo beauty promo because this is the exact equivalent of Kylie being like, Oh, I did nothing. And by the way, buy Kylie skin to look like me. I was going to ask you, is there any 
any world in which she's never gotten an injectable or any Botox in her face. In my opinion, absolutely not. I don't think so either. Well, but like that aside, like, right? Like in my opinion, there's just no way because it's like, okay, this, this is, let's, let's backtrack for a second. Let's, let's talk this through. Okay. I know what you're going to say and yes, but continue. But yes, I already agree with you in advance. What? What? Do you want me to tell you what? Well, I just like understood. <laughs> I just understood the original point you were trying to make. Well, like, tell me what you think I was going to say, although I'm sure it was. Then I'll go from there. Which is like, fine. You didn't have Botox. That's one thing. If you're going to say it, if we're going to believe it, fine. But to plug your brand and act like all of that is just a result of JLo Beauty instead of years and years of like intensive skin treatments, the best money can buy and just link your skin, that's where the lie comes in blatantly, exactly. right? That is exactly what I was going to say. I, I was going to say, let's remove the injectable argument. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt. You know what? Fine. Maybe she's, let's say that we're living in a world where JLo is terrified of needles and she's not going to let that anywhere near her face. Okay, fine. You don't think that means that she still goes to Dr. Jason Diamond and gets a $1,200 gold facial every three weeks? Like it, this is such bullshit and this is such the exact example that we always talk about of celebrities selling this like fake world. It's, it's, it's similar to shit that Kylie does. It's like, there's nothing wrong with doing what you do. And it's, there's not, honestly, if you don't want to come clean about it, that's also fine, but don't try to, without saying it, basically say that people can get exactly what you achieve by just using your products. Like you can't do both. You can either not be totally truthful about what you do or plug your products. You can't, when the two come together, that's when I have an issue. Yeah. Exactly. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. And I really like JLo, but I also just don't think she wrote this comment. Oh, I can understand that also. I just don't think there's any world in which she runs her own social. I think that somebody wrote this comment for her and um, I don't know. That's just how I feel. There was a lot. There was a lot to dissect in that one little comment. There was a lot to dissect and I was waiting this entire week to do so. I'm so happy we did. Really, I love you. Like, I miss the fuck out of you. Do you guys know tomorrow, Julie and I are going to see each other for the third time in 10 months? Isn't that fucking crazy? Honestly, one, I'm so, so, so excited to see you, obviously. But also, like, I have not interacted with anybody other than my dad, Jake, and Carly and their parents. That's it. I know. It's going to be really good for you. It's going to be really good for me. And I'm really excited to see you. Oh my God. I can't believe it. Well, I have you here. Did you remember edibles? Cause we're out. <laughs> oh, I may have some. It's not the good ones though. That's fine. I think I have some. I have like, I brought four joints though. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on to the Kardashian recap, which honestly is really brief this week, but first thing we wanted to talk about just cause people sent this to us like in a panic, which I mean, you guys know, nobody lives for a Scott and Courtney interaction like we do, but she posted this photo of her in this like metallic jumpsuit and he comments, bow, wow, wow, yippee, oh, yippee, i I'm like, we just weren't going to post that. It wasn't significant enough. Yeah. There's just nothing I can do with that comment. There's nothing we can say there. I, I don't know what you want from me. He's with Amelia Gray, which like, I really like her, but I just so am not down for that relationship. So I can't even let myself go to the Courtney and Scott world because it's just not happening right now. I, I'm 100% with you, kid. And last thing we wanted to mention Kardashian-wise just was that, you know, Kim is still posting and she's now been posting more prominently wearing her wedding ring. You can tell there hasn't been any update on the marriage or the divorce rumors other than that. I don't know if it's intentional. Of course, with Kim, everything feels intentional, but I don't know what to tell you. I 
I still think that there's trouble in paradise and that she's really overwhelmed and that there's no way they make it long-term, but maybe she's making a statement. I don't know. I, I can't, it's like, I just can't, I can't focus on it. I know. I, I think this is one that we just have to stop speculating and wait till it comes out. We have to. And I know that's really frustrating for us and for all of you listening, if you're somebody that cares about the shit in the way that we do, but I think we're all going to make ourselves just a little crazy if we keep hyper-focusing on what subtle hints she's trying to send us. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, anything else that you want to mention? I think that's it. I think so too. Two quick things that I want to say. The first is, I don't know what was going on with Isabel and my Bravo episode from Saturday because it was published. Like there were downloads, people were getting it, but some people couldn't see it and still couldn't see it up until today. We have no idea. We went through Apple. We tried everything. There was no issue on the back end, So we really don't know what was going on. Um, but I swear this is not like a, a subtle plug. This is like genuinely the best um, advice from our producer is if you're subscribed, you will just factually have less problems anytime Apple glitches. So if you're not subscribed already, we never really remind everyone. So it's our fault, but please do that because, um, it'll just download for you automatically and faster. We love the fuck out of you guys. We are so grateful. Like I said earlier, specifically today of all days, it was really special to me to have this audience. And I just cannot believe that we have people like you guys listening. So thank you so, so, so much. And Julie and I will see you later in the week for Kardashians. Isabel and I will see you later in the week for Bravo. And I think that's a wrap. Welcome to Nada Yada Island. This season on Nada Yada Island. When we were new, they spoiled me. They even gave me a phone. But then, it's like I didn't exist. Don't take Yada Yada from your wireless carrier. Now with Metro, get that new customer feeling again and again. Introducing Metro Flex. Free 5G phones when you join, same deals as new customers when you stay. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Just bring your number and ID and sign up for an eligible plan. After 12 months, trade in and get our best deals on select devices.